Hello, everyone. This is Chad, and you're listening to Mission Daily. On today's episode, we sit down with Michael Morgan. Michael is the CEO of UpDocs. UpDocs is simplifying the business of healthcare and doing some amazing things in terms of communications. We talk about that in today's episode, as well as how Michael got started in technology, e-commerce, marketing, and so much more. We talk about Mike's philosophies on leadership, on growth, and why empathy is so important. Also, we talk about Mike's work at Chapel Hill House. It's a fascinating charity organization that works in conjunction with Lifting Hopes, another nonprofit. And you'll hear all of that in today's episode. Let's jump into it. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate you having me today. Likewise. Uh, You mentioned you're calling in from Columbus, Ohio. I'm curious what's going on out there in quarantine. I saw some news the other day that things were starting to slow down a bit in Ohio. I hope that's the case. Uh, How are you doing out there, Mike? Yeah, no, thank you for asking. Um, We're doing well. I think, you know, Governor DeWine and then Dr. Amy Acton, they've really been spearheading it here in Ohio. And, you know, they've done a good job. They've really been on the forefront at the stay-at-home orders and and trying to communicate, holding daily press conferences. So I think everybody is, everybody's hanging in there and hoping that we're we're hitting the peak now. Good, good. That's uh, that's great news. Yeah, things in the Bay Area are uh, doing well as, I guess, anyone could have imagined. And um, that's exciting for us. And we're ready to get the economy rolling as many of us uh, <laughs> are, are now. So Mike, as CEO of UpDocs, uh, for those that aren't familiar, how do you usually introduce yourself and uh, what UpDocs does? Yeah, it's it's great because I think everybody knows healthcare either as a patient, a caregiver. Um, they also know there's typically a lot of frustration around healthcare and specifically managing communications. And so the best way we describe UpDocs is we really help physicians, pharmacists, anybody who's providing care more effectively communicate with each other and then also with patients. Because that's really the key part about providing better care. If somebody's more informed, they feel like it's easy to work with their caregivers and their care providers. It just makes the whole experience and outcomes better. So we're really focused on just helping change the way healthcare connects and communicates. Yeah. And I think what's fascinating about the story, too, is, you know, UpDocs started as document management and now has expanded to collaboration for, uh, I think, over 300,000 users. So we're talking physicians, pharmacies, and um, they in turn serve about a hundred million patients, if I read that correctly. So that's a, a pretty exciting scale. I'm sure it wasn't always that big. Um, so if you could kind of take us back to the, uh, the origins of when you joined UpDocs and, uh, when you got started with it. Yes. I've been here since the, really the beginning when we started to sell, which was around 2012 And like anything in healthcare, you really have to provide a lot of value to get a solution to stick and get somebody to want to pay for it, especially because we target what we call out of hospital. So we don't really sell to big um, inside the four walls of hospital. We're selling to the five, 600,000 providers of care that sit outside the hospital. And so when we started with document management, we really looked and said, okay, what's the real source of pain and trouble? in this group and what keeps them from being more effective. And as funny as it sounds now, it was really paper because paper is really this way they transfer documents and information between providers. And when it shows up as paper inside of an office or inside of a practice, 
practice, it just causes a ton of headache in having to try to move that paper around and manage it. So our initial focus was, how do we just help these practices eliminate all that paper? And is it true that 50% of all medical communications are still delivered via fax or is that, uh, is that changing rapidly? Well, so it's interesting because, yes, there's still the documents being exchanged. And I think there's a little bit of confusion in the market because for UpDocs, sometimes we're thought of as a faxing company. We're really not. We replace faxing. And what I mean by that is we can electronically move a document from point A to point B. So there's still documents that have to move. That's just the way healthcare provides. If it's a referral, it's a lab result, it's a home health order, that's still a document moving from point A to point B. There still are a lot of people that use old-fashioned faxing and paper on the other side when they're transitioning these documents. But with UpDocs, they really use our system and it shows up electronically. They can manage it and it really eliminates that fax. So there's really this whole move to eliminate the paper aspect of it, but the documents still have to move from point A to point B. Very cool. And so when you got started back in uh, 2012, I believe, and you were thinking about okay, we're starting to sell, we're starting to go to market. What type of strategy did you have in place then? And how did that change as you started to go to market? Yeah, I think when you go to market in the um, early days of a company, and again, understanding the segment we were targeting, the pain we were trying to solve, we were really focused on just doing one thing and doing one thing really well. So when we thought about the idea is how do we eliminate paper We wanted to make a a solution that people enjoyed and liked to use because they were going to be in it all day long. On an average month, one physician can generate up to 12 to 1500 pieces of paper a month. So people were using this all day long. And so in the early days, it was just focused on taking clicks out, thinking about the workflow. And when you envision it, it looks a lot like an email inbox at the core of this. And what it does is instead of having to use paper or use something, it really acts as like this collaboration workspace where anybody inside an office or a practice can now, not only the documents come in electronically, you can manage those, you can edit them online, you can even sign those. And ultimately that lands in the EHR. But what it does is it really just gave them a super efficient way to just take all that paper out. And we were just so maniacally focused on on making that a better experience for the people using the system. When it comes to making that better experience, were you involved in a lot of customer development conversations? How did you kind of structure your time back in those days to to learn, okay, what's going on and then to, you know, iterate your models? Were you out in the field, like boots on ground talking to people? Uh, were you calling a lot of folks? Uh, what did that look like? Yeah, I mean, in the early days, so there were only five of us in those early days, and we spent a lot of time. And even before I joined, um, the original two of the original founders were technologists, and they'd spent a, a couple years really focused on this problem even before I joined. And, you know, there were other people that were also involved in that early days. And yes, it was all about just listening to the, to the customer. So when I joined the company, we were ready to kind of start doing that, the selling and start to scale the business. But even at that point, as we added more and more users, we just spent a lot of time with each of the individual users, really watching and understanding how they used the system. And that's what drove a lot of the uh, product features and the product development. It was just this constant iteration. Um, the other thing that really helped tremendously is the original idea, which uh, we can talk a little bit more about, but it was the idea of a physician, um, Dr. Andy Marbash. 
And so when the general idea or the original idea comes from a physician, it just really helps because they're the ones that are living it, um, you know, day to day. And, you know, that really helped inform how we wanted to build the system in the early days. Yeah, I'd love to dive into that a bit more. So anytime somebody who has domain experience and who has felt that pain intrinsically develops a solution, you know, you want to listen closely. So um, how did the doctor that stumbled on this, uh, how did that come about? Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because in healthcare, obviously everything has to be secure. And what happens is then typical business tools that you and I or other businesses might take for granted, even things like email, um, you know, the way you might send a document from point A to point B using email, uh, those tools just don't apply in healthcare because you have these security requirements. And so it was really like a lot of ideas and innovations. It was born out of frustration. It was like, hey, I'm trying to work and try to provide better care for this patient. And to be able to do that, I either need to collaborate, transition documents to these other physicians. I need to to work together because Dr. Barbash is a neurologist. And so he was involved with a lot of different patient care. And so the original idea was, okay, how do I just bring people together in a way that allows them to better communicate and then transfer these documents back and forth? And that was really the, the original idea. It was just out of frustration where you couldn't use tools that, that other businesses were just used to using. And as you started to get a little bit into the business, let's say three years, four years in, uh, where did you all find yourself and how did you go about uh, growing the team? So, you know, starting with five people is one thing, but uh, scaling up and finding product market fit and all those things, it's a tricky balance. So what did the next couple of years look like after you joined? Yeah, it's interesting. And I think the other point I'd like to make, too, is, you know, when you start a company, uh, and I know a lot of people know this, you have two routes. You either have a bootstrapped route or a you know, a route where you raise large venture capital in the beginning to help fuel. We went the bootstrap route, which meant we were very focused on how do we build a good distribution model and scale the business because we had to start, you know, selling and actually getting revenue and making money early, which in our mind, we thought that was a great way to show that there's good product market fit when people were willing to, to pay for the solution. And so when we thought about the, the business, so we really were focused on that distribution. And I think this is probably one of the biggest challenges when you scale a business, especially when you're doing it in a bootstrap nature. In the early days, a lot of people do a lot of everything. And then you have to start specializing. And so we really looked at this in the early days and picked areas we wanted to specialize. So some of the first areas we did was bring in people really focused on the customer experience and customer support. We thought that was a good first place to, to specialize in. Um, and then we started specializing in some of the, the sales and marketing functions. Uh, and then we would grow development. And so we really worked around the organization and we're very deliberate about, okay, this function's okay to have somebody running it that might have a broader breadth of responsibility, which typically probably means they're not an expert in all the areas, but hey, over here, as we started to add a lot of customers and users, we really needed somebody focused on the the customer and support and then the experience. Sure. And when it comes to that experience, are there any customer success stories or examples of implementation where Updocs comes in and kind of transforms the uh, the client? Yeah, no, it, it does. And, and that's the other nice part. When we talk about how many users we have and how many actual practices we touch, 
Um, we do have a lot of those stories. I think the things that really get us very excited is, again, we serve from the smallest one and two physician practices all the way up to large health systems. And but when you talk to the folks, and I'll use the example of some of the smaller doctor's offices, because they're very important in the overall providing of care. A lot of times they're very rural. Um, they're serving a very important population, sometimes with chronic conditions. And they'll talk about when I bring in up docs, I'm able to eliminate all these administrative tasks and burdens, and I'm actually able to spend more time now providing care and working with patients. UpDocs has given me a life back. I don't have to stay in the office all these extra hours. You know, so there's a lot of places where it actually touches very specifically their personal life and happiness and just their quality of life. And I think that's really important. And that's always been a mission because when we think about what we're doing, we're trying to help people connect, but we're trying to simplify all this business and communications that happens around healthcare, which ultimately should require equate to staff being happier and then ultimately a better patient experience. Sure. And patient experience is something that's at the, uh, the forefront of a lot of uh, marketing campaigns and, and debate in the industry. Uh, we've had some a number of different professionals on to discuss this. Uh, Dr. Eric Topol was one. And as we start to discuss the patient experience right now, are there any trends you see that are especially promising? And where do you think the uh, the patient experience is at right now in terms of its, its evolution? So I think one, we're actually starting to talk about it, which is a really good sign. And I think even an interesting, you know, words matter. I think it's really a customer experience as much as the patient experience. I think this transformation to value-based care, a more educated patient or customer consumer, it's all raising the expectations. So I think all those are very positive. I think there's been a lot of different tools that are starting to address and create a better patient experience. And that's a really big focus at, at UpDocs because again, if we think about helping people communicate better, obviously we started with documents and managing and helping that internal productivity. I would say the last year or so, um, year and a half, we've been really focused on combining that with the patient experience and saying within UpDocs, if we're gonna help manage all the communications, how can we make that a very consistent experience, whether you're helping people schedule an appointment or educating them before coming in, or if they have a question, being able to respond, and then after the visit, being able to do this follow-up. It's not a one-piece experience. It's really this holistic view of this is the entire customer experience, and it should be very consistent. It should be high quality. You should be able to respond quickly. There's all the things, again, back to other industries have done. It's now really becoming a very big deal in healthcare. Sure. And- when it comes to the healthcare industry, you have a number of uh, different experiences, whether it's uh, as a board member at Chapel Hill House, NetSpark Technologies, Sterling Commerce. Um, not all of them are, I guess, medical focused. I, some are, I guess, in the healthcare industry broadly. When it comes to those experiences, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've taken away from them that you find yourself applying day in and day out at UpDocs? Yeah, I think, you know, across to all of those, and, and some of those are healthcare, other technologies, Chapel Hill House, for example, is a charity that I'm, I'm heavily involved with. And I think there are some very common themes among, um, it is some of the things that we talk about a lot inside of our company, and it's really empathy for the end user or the end consumer of what we're trying to do. If we can do a good job of understanding what they're trying to accomplish, that just helps us be a better company and provide a better solution. Sure. So empathy is something that is, again, like a lot of executives are talking about it. They're thinking about it. They're trying to do a better job with it. 
Um, are there any specific examples you have of how to foster or teach empathy to new team members or just, you know, how do you instill that in your culture broadly? Yeah, I think that's super important. I mean, what we do is, and again, we're we're fortunate because we have a large customer base. Um, they're very vocal. You know, we have a good relationship with with a lot of them. We have a full time person that spends a lot of time interviewing um, a lot of our customers and even people who are not customers to understand how they use the product and the pain. Uh, we spend a lot of time with both new employees and existing employees exposing them to that. So we do have a number of employees that are on the phone all, every day with, with customers. But even the ones that don't have that opportunity every day, we really want them to hear in their own words exactly the impact we are having. And, and quite honestly, we always felt good about the impact. But what's happening with the current crisis and what's happening with COVID, which we can talk more about, we've definitely been exposed more even directly about how we are impacting those practices. And that's really been fueling a lot of our employees or all of our employees through this time. Sure. And how, how do those feedback loops look or how, how are you getting feedback from the market right now about, you know, how you're impacting things or generally like what's going on at the front lines? You probably have a closer eye to this than many of us. Yeah. So, you know, right when everything started to break, we have always had a solution um, for probably the last six months or so where we could enable physicians offices uh, to conduct a video visit with their patients. Prior to COVID, there was some adoption, but a lot of people were waiting for reimbursement. When COVID hit, a lot of these practices literally had to shut their doors because they were trying to protect both the, the providers and staff as well as the patients. And so there was this rapid need to introduce video. And we were successful at adding, you know, 10 to 15,000 new users and probably a, a two to three week time where these people on the front line, they were literally, um, you know, ready to go out of business if they weren't able to get a technology to create these virtual visits with their patients. And so, you know, we at the same time as a company, we just went to virtual ourselves and work from home. And so we were really trying to mobilize and trying to help as many people as possible. We were doing things with our product and packaging to help people get up and running quickly. And, uh, you know, it really, really drove us because we were really, and we have been helping um, where we're enabling these practices to stay open, treat the patients, keep the patients safe and at home. Elderly patients can stay home now. So, you know, there's a lot in that topic, but it's, it's really, I think this type of technology has been a really big factor in helping support the industry through this time. Sure. And so any time a industry or institution goes through, uh, a horrible challenge, tragedy uh, situation like that's happening now, there are opportunities for growth and there's opportunities for the industry as a whole to restructure itself and, uh, you know, better prepare for next time. Are there any early signs you're seeing of the industry maybe building up more redundancies or, um, you know, any structural changes that you see on the horizon? I do. I, I, I think this is actually going to change the face of healthcare probably forever because, again, pre-COVID, I think it was a really perspective that all care had to happen inside of a practice. There were some video visits and telehealth, but it was really not very normal. I think now this has forced people to see that you can really provide really good care virtually. 
Um, they're starting to see reimbursements from CMS and in different states at the Medicaid level and even commercial payers now, where it's being seen that uh, somebody can actually help more patients and do that effectively, um, where you're using this type of technology. So I really do think that this is going to change the, the face of healthcare and just rethinking the whole way that care is going to be delivered. And, and that, that's changed. And, and I don't think that will ever go back to what it was like pre-COVID. Sure. Mike, when it comes to learning about the industry or just learning in general, right, about leadership philosophies or styles, how do you go about that? Are you a book reader? Are you consuming a lot of articles online? Are you reading medical journals, uh, podcasts? Is it a combination of everything? Uh, What's your learning routine like? Yeah, I think um, there's probably two different. There's the learning about the industry. And then I think always continually trying to learn about how to scale and and operate a business. Um, From the industry side, we're really fortunate. We have good access to, um, obviously, again, our customers. We have good advisors. Um, you know, you know, read a lot of the kind of smaller snippets and newsletter pieces that'll come out. But they're probably mostly focused on just talking to our customers directly. Uh, some of the chief medical officers of some of our partners, you know, just love to sit down and ask a lot of questions about what they see in the industry. I think on the business side, I almost kind of separate those in in two different things. And you know, very you know fortunate there. I think. We have a, you know, a good board that offers different perspectives, you know, good people who've operated, um, you know, large organizations that have been able to provide input, um, as well as, you know, mentors that I've had from, you know, previous companies like the, the former CEO of, you know, Sterling Commerce and, you know, people like that who've always been very gracious with their time if you have questions and think about how to scale a business. And building those relationships over your career is something that takes years and years. And we live in a culture today where patience and playing the long game and even bootstrapping has uh, kind of fallen out of favor. Um, Is there any advice you have for entrepreneurs out there, CEOs or executives that do want to play the long game? How can we go about building and fostering that culture of patience in a society that increasingly is about immediate gratification? Yeah, that's a great question. I do think there's still a lot of opportunity and obviously that's the route we took. So I am a fan of that. I think when you sit out and you really think about that's the approach you want to take, I think you also have to be very realistic about how you're going to apply capital, how confident you are in the distribution model and the problem you're going to solve and how you're going to be able to solve it. I think where we see conflict and it doesn't work is obviously people who take a venture route a lot of times are trying to start bigger to start. You have more capital. You can place more bets because if all bets don't happen, then you have more venture capital to fall back on and you can continue to to go that route. When you go the other route of bootstrapped and being more patient, you just have to make sure that up front, there's a higher level of confidence in both the problem and the solution, the fit and the distribution model. And honestly, that's where I think the network that you've built or the people that you can go to to help you validate that is really important. And it does take, I think, quite a bit more patience because you have to have that level of confidence before you start down that bootstrap path. Sure. And... So, Mike, one of the things that I've struggled with most recently was uh, as a company, we went, we took a small angel check from uh, two well-known venture capital firms, but we hit profitability quickly. And in year two, 
we made a business acquisition. That acquisition turned out to be disastrous and it was with our own money. It was with profits. Um, we recovered from it and we're recovering now. However, <laughs> it's the type of uh, thing that shakes your organization and forces you to reevaluate things. When you were bootstrapping in the early days, were there any big hits that you all took when you know, you're, you're using your own money or using profits? And if so, how did you recover from them? Yeah, I think when you do that in the early days, you know, we definitely made some bets on some product and some partners where it didn't necessarily work the way we thought it was going to work. And you're pretty far down the path. I think the hardest part, and I think this is what everybody's challenged with, is once you start making those investments, you always want it to work. And I think, you know, any entrepreneur who's willing to invest their own money and put their, you know, their company on the line and do it, you have to have a little bit of confidence and ego. Um, even when you're humble, there's got to be some confidence in there. And so probably the hardest thing is to admit when something is wrong and you've got to stop and and just say, yep, I know I invested, but it's ready to, to move and pivot on. And so, you know, we probably had some similar things around, you know, that piece. And I think it just then you have to retrench, make sure you're you're doing that. And I think the other part, which, you know, if interest, we can dive in. We really probably got better in our investments and thinking about the business and horizons and making sure we were really focused on having a super healthy core. And then we would only invest in future horizons once we had tested those out and with money we knew that we could lose. And so I think that's where we ultimately got to. But, you know, that might be a topic we could dig into, too. But that's kind of the way we think about investing now. Sure. Yeah, no, I love that. And as you were going about uh, getting to a place where, you know, you, ha you had models that show, okay, this is money we can afford to lose. And, you know, you're, you're thinking about things with the board and the team. Uh, I'm always curious to know how other CEOs are thinking about uh, making big moves, whether it's a partnership or an acquisition, uh, a, an ad campaign, whatever the case is. Um, how do you go about vetting your ideas? Do you introduce them to a couple of close mentors first? Uh, are there key executives you like to spitball with? Um, how does the emergence of uh, new ideas and new bets happen at your company? Yeah, and I think like most companies, that's evolved uh, the bigger that we've gotten. Um, I will say, I think even in the early days, we always tried to create what we would consider more of a data-driven company. Uh, a lot of my background comes from product management. And I think product management and marketing is actually a good global way to even think about a, a company, a lot of those skill sets. Um, and so we always tried hard to know where we wanted to go. And then we did try hard to come up with criteria in the way that we would think about making a decision. And again, in a kind of an old product management adage is you should really, you know, debate the criteria. And then once you debate the criteria, decision-making should be fairly easy because you just apply those criteria. I think a lot of trap people fall into is if you don't do that, then you start basically arguing each idea against itself. And that's a really dangerous thing to get in because people fall in love with ideas and it can become more emotional. So if you've got some sense of criteria, it should take a little bit of that out, the subjectivity, and make it a little more of a, of a, of a better decision process. So I would say in the early days, we did a little bit of that, and that really helped us as we thought about, here's the decisions we make. We've gotten that a little bit more formal now. And so, again, we also, not to throw out too many different concepts, we do think of like one-door decisions and, and kind of two-way decisions. So 
if it's a smaller decision, we can walk back. It's probably a little bit less. If it's a bigger decision, then it's typically myself and my team. And then we'll really work through those criteria a little bit more. It's kind of the way we look at it now. Sure. And when it comes to the future for updocs, are there any developments over the next couple of years that you can talk about or uh, any plans or visions you have if you look out to maybe like, you know, five years or seven years in the future? Yeah, I think, as we mentioned, you know, we're really focused on helping manage all that communications. The big focus, the, you know, last year and now right now with COVID is really helping with the patient communications. Ultimately, where we see this going is if we become that standard platform to help everybody in healthcare communicate, whether it's other providers or whether it's the patients, becoming that standard platform, we're actually building the largest connected community of providers. And once you do that, and if you think about everybody being able to use UpDocs, and now you have this connected community, there's so many additional value that can be provided, whether it's sharing ideas amongst the community, which we're already starting to see a lot of that, being able to take this community and represent it to potential payers or employers so they can interact with the UpDocs community. And in a lot of ways, it's going to become the largest connected community of out of hospital providers across the entire country. So super focused today, helping manage communications, ultimately building this very large community and connect them. Sure. As an organization, we do a lot of uh, channels and like our bread and butter here is, is podcasting and, and audio. Uh, audio is very interesting in the medical community because it's something that it's like augmented reality that works right now. Uh, you can listen to it. You can you know leave voice memos and things like that. Um, how do you see uh, the future of voice playing out in the medical industry? It seems like this is an area that's ripe for uh, opportunity and ripe for innovation. Yeah. So I think with voice, I think there is a, a good opportunity for that. I think it's all mixed into thinking about, again, an overall communication strategy. And I think previous, a lot of times people would think of voice as leaving a voicemail or trying to communicate things that were probably a little less effective. But I think there is very much a place for voice because even within our platform, physicians and physicians offices, pharmacies, they can record a message that they can then broadcast out to their entire patient population. So for communications, um, they can do text messaging, they can do email, um, then I can connect with you via video. So I do think voice, live voice, recorded voice, I, I totally agree. I think that there's a very good opportunity to help make that more effective and efficient. And then also more importantly, make that as part of an overall communication strategy. Because again, people want to be communicated with the way they prefer. So if you can make it easy for a practice or a provider to manage all that. And then you as a patient can be communicated with the way you want to be communicated with. That's when the whole industry is going to move forward because then everybody's happy. It's super effective. Adherence goes better. Like when it comes to advice from your mentors or uh, friends in the industry, are there any pieces of advice that you remember or that you feel like uh, guided your career in a really positive way? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, as, as I mentioned, I, I feel like I've been very fortunate, um, you know, with the people I've been able to meet and just how gracious they've been with their time. I think when you think about, you know, running the business, I think the biggest thing is very clearly communicating where you're trying to go. Um, I think very clearly making sure people understand the guiding principles 
and then making sure you get the right people in the right spots in the right team. Um, and then I think lastly, which all encompasses this, don't be afraid to make changes. And it's really hard when you make change. And I think sometimes at certain points in a company, whether it's a certain structure, certain people may be good at that point. It may need to change going forward. That's just a natural evolution of the business. It's not personal. And so I think being able to have that clear objective, clear principles, the right people, the right structure, and then making sure that you're continually pushing yourself to evolve. That's what wrapped all together is probably the the biggest advice that, that people have really pushed me on. Sure. And some of your early career was spent in marketing and e-commerce. Uh, I'm curious, how did you go about transitioning into the medical field and uh, why did you make that change? Yeah, so I'd been in technology my entire career and, and as you mentioned, in marketing product management, it kind of more cross-functional or cross-industry type solutions. And then prior to UpDocs, I had the opportunity to work for uh, a company, NetSmart Technologies, that was a uh, provider of electronic health records for behavioral health. Um, wonderful company, great mission because the severe mentally ill population is very, you know, it, it, there's a lot of uh, benefit that can be provided to that community. And, and our health records spend a lot of time helping that community. And so was in a small group. I went into there as part of a turnaround. We were acquired by uh, NetSmart and then I was able to have several different roles as we scaled that business um, significantly. So that really gave me the taste for healthcare. And what I liked about that is previous jobs, when I sold cross industries, I could be selling to retail, I could be selling to automotive. You really didn't get the opportunity to learn any one industry. What NetSpark taught me is when you're focused and you're really on one industry, how much both more enjoyable and effective you can be. So when I had the opportunity to come into UpDocs, I was excited because it was still healthcare. But in a lot of ways, it was kind of the future of healthcare because health records are wonderful and they provide a really big value. But, you know, we firmly believe the future of healthcare is helping try to automate and manage all these communications. So it was really a great fit by both being healthcare and kind of what we consider the future. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. This has been an awesome interview. And I'd like to maybe uh, challenge you a little bit on the, the final question or final takeaway uh, that I'm hoping you can leave our listeners. One of the things I'm most interested in is your work at Chapel Hill House, and that is uh, an important organization. Um, so I'm just curious if you could tell us a little bit about that and why that work is so impactful or maybe what it brings for you. No, thank you, Chad. I really appreciate you asking about that. That That is a very special organization, and it's really in tandem with uh, with another group, um, you know, Lifting Hopes uh, combined with Chapel Hill House. And and what Chapel Hill House is, it's a, a cabin in northern Ohio where families with um, who are battling pediatric cancer, they can use this as a way. It's free. They can come to the cabin um, and actually get the opportunity to spend some time as a little bit of a retreat away from the treatment process and everything that they're going through. So it's meant to be a, a, a place to get away, reflect, spend time with family and, and to, to be able to, to do that in a safe environment. And so um, it's a, a friend of mine and a couple friends, it was his father and who had passed away from cancer. And so his mom started this. And so we were able through our friendship, be able to go in, to the board and, and help, um, you know, try to work, with this group to try to grow and expand just the knowledge about it and try to bring more people in. So we're really pleased. We've been able to 
to have a lot of people come through. You know, we're typically open in the early spring all the way through the, the fall. And it's just, you know, it's just such a meaningful cause. Been able to, to get my kids involved, you know, with it as well in different fundraising events. And um, it's just a nice way to take some of the entrepreneurial business aspect, but then do that in a way to give back to something that's very meaningful. Sure. That's uh, important work to say the least. Mike, thanks so much for joining us and best of luck as you continue to grow and evolve things at UpDocs. Thank you, Chad. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all the, the questions and hopefully um, you stay safe and, and everybody's healthy out there too. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.